I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, my name is Justin Hamilton and welcome to Big Squid. In today's episode, my good friend and co-host of Total Reboot Podcast, Alexi Toliopoulos, will be joining me to have a discussion about episode three of HBO's Watchmen. Uh, Really looking forward to this. This is a a really fun chat and... uh, then uh, when Alexi goes, I'll uh, I'll hang out with you for a little bit longer, and we will uh, have a little uh, one-on-one uh, some uh, squid bits that uh, came up. Uh, there is a, a mild warning that I'll give you now. We do uh, touch on uh, the topic of rape in this. This is in relationship to Laurie's character uh, and what she learns in the graphic novel. Uh, just giving you a heads up: you're watching a, a grown-up show, you're watching a mature show, but I don't know where you are uh, at the moment. I don't know uh, what what thoughts you might be having, and it might just be something where you think, "Oh, I'm ha- up for a you know a chat about the podcast," but I'm not quite up for that. It's only small, but I just want to give you a warning now in case you think, "Ah, oh, maybe I'll listen a little bit later." So better to be safe, uh, I think, in uh, in this regard. Uh, I also uh, throw out there a, a Nine Inch Nails theory, uh, a Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross theory about uh, an album that they should be dropping today. Uh, I'm in Australia, so I'm a little bit ahead of time. That's right, I am Dr. Manhattan for everyone in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, look, by the time you listen to this, my theory could be completely wrong. So, but anyway, I'm keeping it in. And if I'm right... Hurrah! And if I'm wrong, well, that's part of the fun of the podcast. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, if we get that right. Send send me a blue wang if I get it right on social media. We won't explain it to anyone. Just a just a just a blue thumbs up <laughs> that we were onto something. Um, I don't know if you realised on the eleventh of uh, on the second, sorry, of November, uh, it was the anniversary of the giant squid attack on New York. So. I hope uh, you remembered those who died in in that moment. And uh, I ate some calamari just to get back at our big squid 
invaders. No, I didn't. I'm a vegetarian. But if I did eat meat, that's what I would have eaten to get back at them. Uh, anyway, let's get into it. There's so much to uh, to, to play around with in this podcast. Uh, once again, uh, I'll, I'll plug uh, Alexi's podcast and the, and the sites, and uh, and I'll give you a, a heads up on a, on a book that you should check out as well. And I promise I will just do my best not to spend this whole podcast talking about how cool is Gene Smart. Let's get into it. So how cool is Gene Smart? I think this performance <laughs> oh is God. so good. Yeah. Because Gene Smart's one of those character actors that's been around in sitcoms, TV yep. shows, TV dramas, yep. TV thrillers. And then, you know, here and there in a few movies, like the a very Brady sequel, I think right. she's in, or Brady Bunch movie. Right. And I I mean, I love those movies. So very funny. I think that she's always been like one of those like character actors. I'm just like, oh, she's so good. She's yeah. so good. Very memorable run on Frasier. Right. One of my favorites of hers. But seeing her in this, I'm like, she is a fucking movie star. Yeah. She could have been a movie. Like, this is such a movie star performance where she gets to do everything cool that a movie star does. Oh, yeah. Like, shoot someone in the head. Yes. Like, do a freaking <laughs> bank robbery. Yes. And do it all so cool and so coldly. But then you get these absolutely this unraveling layers of vulnerability in these yes. private moments. And especially because you're seeing her be this really cool badass like sp- like FBI agent throughout right. the whole thing but it's intercut with like this kind of cold yet very vulnerable phone call to oh. an ex-lover yeah. that is a superhuman omnipresent omnipotent god yes uh, it's i think this if you're not in on watchmen by now Give up. Yeah. And that's all right. You gave it a crack. <laughs> exactly. Not, but, not everything's for everyone. <laughs> but if you want a friend to get in on it, give him the first three episodes as they are oh, now. And I can't imagine not loving this show. Oh. Like, oh, well, that's the end of the podcast. Like, I feel like you summed up everything that I was feeling. This is great. It's, uh, and, and, you know, recently she had been in uh, season two of Fargo, which she mm. was awesome in. And she was also in Legion. Yeah. And she was great in that as well. And it's uh, it's really exciting, you know. Like I think I, uh, you know, jump jumping ahead slightly mm. in notes here before I get into the uh, into the proper recap. But uh, he says, looking through his nine pages of notes, nine pages, Alexi. I'm yeah. so sorry. Like, yeah, I'm uh, having a panic attack watching Hamo in this episode. Uh, <laughs> Hamo's unraveling much. Oh like my god, the Silk Spectre. Look, I had a really good time. Um, the uh, I'd written down this note. God, this is great, great podcasting. As he's oh, like, I honestly thought I knew where it was, but uh, you know what? I'll find it later. We'll but get what to I'm, it. what essentially there's a bit later on where mm. I say, How cool is it to see uh, a, a TV show that is using uh, and uh, deconstructing mm. a trope which has been in the past considerably male orientated yeah and so far the two heroes that we've met are yeah. a 68 year old woman i think uh, gene smart is 68 and oh my gosh i think that's right wow. i could be it, 
Yeah. Massive apologies if anyone knows Jean and I got that wrong. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, an older woman, you yeah, know. Yeah, an older woman who is, uh, uh, like, you know, tough and age. really smart and, yeah. and, and assertive and really good at her job. Yeah. Uh, across another woman who's middle-aged, yeah. who's really smart and really good at the job, both vulnerable in different ways, mm. both exhibit different types of sensuality and sexuality yeah. and also get to be funny. Especially like, you know, like 20 years ago, if this was made, like it would be someone like freaking Harvey Keitel playing the Gene Smart role oh, or yeah, something for sure, like that, right? you know? And it would be so serious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, she is unbelievable. It's, uh, like I said, it's a movie star performance in a yeah. TV show. It's, the, it's yeah. And I, I love that this episode, it's where it's, it finally kind of all connects where it's like, yes, this actually is a Watchmen sequel. Right, yeah, you know? for sure. A sequel Can, to the graphic novel. It, I, I really wish someone in America uh, knew, knew you. And, uh, and, <laughs> Me too. Oh, no, 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 there's more to this. Yeah. And uh, put it in, uh, you know, when they put the quotes up for yeah. the series, uh, a movie star performance in a TV show, <laughs> Alexi Toliopoulos. <laughs> well, I'm good at those little quotables. T-O-L-I-O-P-O-L-O-U-S for anyone who's listening. <laughs> well, Alexi, close enough, I guess. Uh, oh, it's close, right? Anyway, I'm doing my best. Look, I've got nine pages of notes, so I didn't have time to make sure I got your, the spelling of your name right. Uh, let's get into the recap of the episode uh, entitled She Was Killed by Space Junk. Lyric from a Devo song. We'll get yeah. into that a little bit later. Uh, we open on Laurie Blake, an FBI agent who specialises in taking down mass vigilantes as part of the National Anti-Vigilante Task Force. She's in a space-age phone booth that allows people to call Dr. Manhattan, who resides on Mars, and allows them to leave him a message. It's nice to know that he's got an answering service. Mm, I was like, this. I, what an unexpected little touch. Oh, yeah. I think this show's really great at bringing in um, those kind of sci- like oddball science fiction yeah. elements that are yeah. like so unique to this world. Yeah. Like, you know, episode one, we've got the uh, the holstered gun that you can't be taken out. Right. Episode two, they've got that uh, Red Fidations yep. uh, portal with the guy talking, the talking head guy, yep. like, yes, your DNA matches this. And this one, it's this, where it's like, what is the purpose of this item, uh, this phone booth that's a direct line to Dr. Manhattan apart from Laurie trying to right. go and use it? it? Does it give people hope? Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, she sort of says, you know, at one point uh, that, you know, people have hope. Yeah. That you still give a shit, and I know that you don't. So, is that is that almost... Is that, it's like prayer, I guess, you know? Right. Is that is that like a, a science fiction, you know, prayer booth? That's what, I, that's what I imagine. I was just like, it's so... It's such a nice little touch, and especially how retro it kind of mm. looks. Like, it looks like a 1950s ray gun right. from, like, uh, you know, a kid's toy. Oh, yeah. It looks like, a, like from a 1950s sci-fi movie. Exactly. It? Yeah. Like, it could be in Buzz Lightyear's hands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and I always love my favourite kind of... Uh, technology in in mm. entertainment is always stuff that looks retro futurism, right? Yeah. So uh, when Laurie was a young woman, she was the second superhero to take on the role of Silk Spectre after her mother. She was romantically involved with Doctor Manhattan up until the events that take place in the graphic novel. She begins to tell a joke about a bricklayer, loses her way, and then decides to tell a different joke about three men meeting God. Uh, we'll get into that, but mm. did did you see that uh, coming? That like that muck up? 
Yeah, because I, 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 I got to be honest, I didn't. Oh, it's just like it's one of those old jokes that I remember hearing. Oh, right, okay. Where you know, like, uh, like so, the Pagliacci joke yes. in The Watchman, which yep. this is ends up being a bit of a callback to mm. in the end as well. But just one of those very old school Shaggy Dog style right. jokes, and um. Yeah, I always knew that the structure of that joke is that you forget how it goes and right. then you tell another joke and then the brick comes down randomly. You know? You're a better comedian than me, Alexi. I did not <laughs> see this knowing coming. one of the world's worst jokes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we flash back to the previous day when Laurie and her undercover agent stage a bank robbery to lure the superhero known as Mr. Shadow out into the open. They apprehend Mr. Shadow when Laurie shoots him in the back. Back at her apartment, Laurie receives a surprise visit from Senator Joseph Keane Jr., the son of Senator Keane, who helped make vigilanteism illegal in the 1970s. Keane Jr. helped amend the law after the events of the White Knight to help protect police officers' identities. The use of masks has dropped the crime rate in Tulsa by 80%, but with the death of Judd Crawford and a growing suspicion that the 7th Cavalry wasn't involved, Keane recruits Laurie to take on the case. Uh, sorry, can I just say something? Mm. Uh, this was a note that I had for later on, mm. but um, uh, such beautiful writing in this episode where, you know, after she shoots Mr. Shadow and, mm. the, and the cop says, how do you know that his body armour was going to be able to take that? Yeah. In in a lesser movie or TV show, the the, the you know, Laurie's character would have said, I didn't. Yeah, exactly. But it's... she doesn't say anything. Yeah, it's like a line from... Like you say, it's a line from a lesser thing. Yeah. But then it's the payoff of the reaction to the line that right. makes that proves that this is a cut above. Yeah, for sure. I thought that was just such a mm. the 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 restraint of not saying that line yeah. made her for me seem fuck yeah. don't mess with her. It's the difference between the fast and the furious and yeah. <laughs> Damon Lindelof. Yeah, I would yeah. say. Like what a what a great comparison! <laughs> like, yeah, well, not a comparison, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that is, and that's, and that's why I like that. Maybe this show is not for everyone mm. because I would rather be with uh, my tribe. All going, how good <laughs> is that? Where other people go, oh, you know, what would have made that scene heaps better. If yeah. She said, yeah, I didn't, <laughs> or they didn't say it at all because it's kind of lame. And I've heard them say <laughs> stuff like that before. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> uh, the next day at the FBI headquarters, Laurie is briefed on her case and decides to take Agent Dale Peaty as her partner down to Tulsa. They travel immediately to where Crawford was found dead and Laurie notices tracks from Will Reeves' wheelchair in the dirt. Laurie visits Crawford's house next and then goes to the secret hideout where the masked police interrogate members of the 7th Cavalry and other suspects. She speaks to Looking Glass and learns of Crawford's funeral that day. By the way, the moment where she checks to see if she's got nuts in her teeth on, mm. on his mask. <laughs> what a, I, that was maybe one of my favourite moments of the whole episode. Because for, through like Looking Glass has so far been like our Rorschach, very yeah. obviously. Yeah. Where it's this kind of strange yet really uh, like unknowable force and this intimidating character. Yeah. And then the mask has been like such this cool, cool... Like the coolest item of this whole series Without so far. Without a doubt, yeah. Without a doubt, because yep. it's like, oh, it's a new take on Rorschach, who was yeah. the iconic character. And then you're seeing him in that interrogation booth. And yeah. that scene in the first episode, we are seeing the reflections of the the um, moving images around right. him and the face of his uh, interrogating suspect. And then to see both of those things be completely undone yeah. by someone just thinking they're lame and mocking them. Yeah. Brilliant. To me, it was like uh, 
it, it to me it would be like um Steve Martin coming down to the comedy store and talking mm. to a 20-year-old who's got a bit of buzz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he goes, ah, mate, I already, yeah. I, I already did crazy feet, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not really impressed by any of this. Um, at the funeral, Laurie meets Angela for the first time. Laurie lets Angela know that she is secretly sister night before the service begins. The funeral is interrupted when a Rorschach masked member of the 7th Cavalry sneaks up on the mourners with a bomb strapped to his chest, demanding Senator Kane accompany him or he'll blow everyone up. He also states that the bomb is strapped to his heart, so if it stops beating, it will explode anyway. This doesn't stop Laurie from shooting him in the head. As everyone panics, Angela leaps into action, throws the dead body into the grave, and pushes Crawford's coffin onto the terrorist, thus containing the explosion. Tough times for mm. Don Johnson. Like, he, yeah. he's, he's really cool in the first episode, does a bit of blow, gets hung, and now his body's been blown up. Yeah. How cool is that moment, though? It's so good. It's, it's, I... it's one of the many moments where, on those notes that I was trying to mm. find, uh, where it's like, oh, these women are really good at their jobs. Mm. So, Laurie is obviously a great FBI agent and, yeah. and, you know, just decides to ignore everyone about taking a gun into this uh, yeah. situation. But then also, like, Angela's a superhero in that moment. Like, she's not in costume, but that's a superhero moment mm. because everyone else is panicking and freaking out mm. and she just leaps into action. And when she, like, when she was taking the body to the grave, I actually felt like, like I had a really good feeling that Regina King's in the whole series, yeah. but I was still felt a level of anxiety. And then when she threw it in, I thought, oh, well, that explains that when she started pushing the coffin, there was yeah. a part of me that I like. I thought it was equal parts badass and really funny. Yeah, because like, like, in a good way. Is it enough that it's or that you're throwing in there? Do you have to destroy this man's body that you cared <laughs> oh about? Like, but you know, it also works well as a plot point because yeah. you know uh, Laurie was going to exhume the body and yeah. do her own test to see if he did die the oh, way he of did. Of course, yeah. But just in the moment, you're going, yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> like, this is really flawed. His chest has ex- been burst from the outside <laughs> oh, in. Oh my god! Ah, oh, Sunny, you never thought that it'd end up like this. <laughs> Uh, hours later, while Senator Keane addresses the press, Laurie finds Angela exploring the tunnel that the member of the 7th Cavalry had dug to sneak into the funeral. Laura explains that she was going to dig up Crawford to conduct her own investigation into Crawford's death to see if he possibly had died in other circumstances. Laurie also reveals she found a secret compartment at Crawford's home, but unlike Angela, hadn't found a Klansman's costume. Laurie lets Angela know that she is not one to be messed with, to which Angela sarcastically uh-huh. dismisses and it's such a cool moment. And it's the it's the first time, apart from the moments, it's the first time with anyone else mm. that you see Laurie's tough person facade just yeah. drop for a moment because she's a little bit surprised. Yeah. Which is great. Uh, it really lets you know, okay, well, the, these are equals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially that moment where Regina King finds that moment to evisceratingly mock her. Oh, yeah. Where she's like, Oh yeah, and, and pours the coffee dismissively. Oh, that like that was such a shock that literally that moment where she's like, oh, very sarcastically like yeah. feigns fear yeah. in like a way that is like very 
performatively very, very funny. Yeah. Because it's like, who's her audience? One person that yeah. she's destroying. <laughs> yeah. And then to just to do that, which is so... It just seemed like such an out-of-character moment. But yeah. so it so works. And then, then, like you say, menacingly pour the coffee. I'm like, this is a cool, badass yeah. moment because it's just... But it's in humour. Because she's also trying to hide stuff as well. Yeah. You know, because she doesn't quite know... What Laurie knows. Yeah. She knows that Laurie knows a lot, but she obviously doesn't know everything, even though she's stepping in the right yeah. direction. But also fearfully stepping in the right direction because Angela yeah. is like she's found that costume. Exactly. She's yeah. ahead. And so I yeah. think Regina King, it's a real it's a real bring it on Regina King yeah. moment. We're going back to the classic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back at her hotel, Laurie reveals that she travels with a giant blue dildo. Uh, I have subsequently learned in a little interview that I read with one of the co-writers, mm. it is not a dildo, it is a vibrator mm-hmm. that is magnetic and when you put the balls and the knob together, it vibrates. Oh, okay. So there you go. Yeah, You learn okay. something every day. Yeah, so it's not as uh, penetrative, perhaps. It is more... I think it looks pretty penetrative. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> also, it looks like you could make a really good cake with it, right? Oh, my it's, God. Um, it's intimidating. Uh, maybe my favourite moment of the whole series <laughs> so far. If I have to, to be perfectly honest about yeah. it, because I was just like... I was just like, what in the world? Yeah. Especially it's like, you know, the previous episode we see that little blue Manhattan dick. Yeah. And this time you're seeing like, oh my... Yeah. like It looks like it was modelled on when he's giant yeah, in the comic. Exactly. <laughs> they're just serving it up. <laughs> oh. and maybe that's what it is. Yeah. When he's giant in the comic because, you know, that's a moment that the world saw. Well, and now there would have been some people that a little flick switched in the back of their brain right. for, the, for the rest of time and yeah. they decided to capitalise on it. Turns out our world isn't that different to their world. Like, you know how VHS took off because yeah. of porn, even though Beta was a much better quality video? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's also a porn video in the box, which is... Oh, really? Yeah. It uh, looks like it's uh, like a porn version right. of her relationship with Dr. Manhattan. Wow. And she carries that as well. That's fab. I guess if there was porn based on your biographical life, as if you wouldn't... Oh my god! Smash one out! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lexi, <laughs> I uh, I would be, I would be mortified yeah. if I was if my life had a, you know, well, so if there was is... a beautifully produced moment of a, a beautifully produced tape of your most erotic moment in your life. Come on, reduced to porn. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this is such a tangent, and mm. I'll uh, I'll keep this brief. But about sixteen, seventeen years ago, there were there were. Uh, I forget who they were. <laughs> a Bunta Boys porno was released. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, I'm not going that far. Uh, like, anyway, yeah. so there were there was some uh, fanfic porn written about mm. comedians. Yeah. And there was this story that uh, someone had written. This is true. Oh I'm gosh. not making this up. Wow. Where Paul McDermott ran a brothel full of men and Gatesy from Tripod and I visited. And when we got there, all the all the male prostitutes hadn't turned up, so we so we had to fill in. And Paul was this sexual animal, oh and my. Gatesy was this loving uh, man. And I was really nervous, and oh, I was so wow. offended. I thought you meant to say, and <laughs> Mama Bear nervous? was just right. No, no, I was not the Goldilocks of this story. I was really nervous and I'm incapable of knowing what to do around oh women. Oh my gosh! Anyway. Well, we've got to release this out there somewhere. Got to find it somewhere. Yeah. I've also got to work on my uh, onstage presence. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I had not thought of that in a long time, and I'm going to try not to think about it for a while. Um, so uh, she uh, gets into bed, pulls out the giant blue uh, vibrator, and then 
I don't know if she does use it or not. Like, I don't mm. know if she does use it or does I, she decide not to use it. I, I couldn't quite work it out on first from, viewing. From my viewing of it, what I gathered was, uh, from all the evidence submitted, yeah. <laughs> was that she dis- she didn't use it. She went, instead went next door yeah. to be with this beautiful little fanboy. Yeah, so she goes and seduces uh, Agent Petey. And as they lay in bed together, Petey with his domino mask on, Laura can't sleep and mm. decides to call her old flame, Dr. Manhattan. Mm. We return to a joke, a joke that reveals she hadn't messed up her original joke, but in fact used misdirection for a killer punchline. When she leaves the booth, Angela's car drops in front of her and she looks up and sees a flare from Mars. Is this a coincidence or is Dr. Manhattan showing his appreciation for the joke? Meanwhile... Back at the manor, mm. our strange man creates a catapult and designs a suit from his surroundings that he believes can survive a difficult journey. He dresses his latest Mr. Phillips in this suit, but the next scene reveals another failure, and uh, Mr. Phillips is dead. Furious, the strange man rides off on his horse to kill another bison so he can use the skin to make an even better suit. Before he can gather up the dead bison, a man known as the Game Warden shoots at him and sends him a letter informing him that he is breaking the rules of his captivity. Mm. The strange man refuses to be sent scuttling and sends a letter in response. He then changes into costume and reveals that he is Adrian Vite, Ozymandias himself. Uh, so let's get right into well, like we've finished on uh, Vite, so let's get into him. Mm. I always said Vite as well for Same. years, and always. I, and it's really. I'm equal parts disappointed in myself and also frustrated because it's so ingrained. Yeah. So if anyone's listening and I accidentally say V, please don't. I'll tell you now, there's no way I'm not going to call say V. Yeah. Because I'm just going to never remember that it's Vite yeah. after 10 years of it being ingrained. It's not Vite like to say it's said. Vite. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be my uh, whole hypothesis of yeah. this episode. All these great things happen and that's all I'm going to be. That's your on. poster quote. Are you relieved that it's just revealed that he's Adrian? So, so you know, I had my crazy theory that maybe he was, um, you know, maybe he was Dr. Manhattan mm. trying to recreate, yeah. you know, what it's like to yeah. be alive and live life. And uh, so it looks like I was wrong about that. But there was a part of me that was like, you know, Damon Lindelof cops a lot of shit for uh, Lost, which I think, uh, I think the majority of it is really unfair. Yeah. And uh, so... You know, in all the publicity, he was saying probably who you think it is. You know, he kept, he, he yeah. kind of was on the front foot with it. But he was so on the front foot. There was a part of me, um, I don't know, that maybe it's still misdirection. Yeah. It's probably not. I agree. I'm, I'm, I could be overthinking this, which is probably what the name I of think, this podcast should have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there'll, there'll obviously there'll be more to it. You yes. know, it's talking about he's being held captive. Yeah. Is he being held captive by Dr. Manhattan on Mars? Which I right. think is the, the, the most obvious option. Right. And being punished for this thing, the, the right. crime that he committed, the genocidal atrocity that he committed. Right. Um, arguably or whatever. I mean, I'm not here to make a judgment on whoever on this. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, I, you know, that's the obvious option. Or is there more? to it is there's something that has not been revealed yet so know? this is my question to you is he possibly captive of the russians because there's a mm. throwaway line when uh, senator Keane is being interviewed about uh the russians attempting to create their own intrinsic field so are they somehow mm. holding him captive to force him to make their own dr manhattan is that a possibility Far out. You see that's i think 
See, that makes more sense to me now. Right. Because, you know, the, being captured by Dr. Manhattan, that's the obvious option. Yes. But as soon as you say that, I'm like, that makes more sense story-wise. Right. And in a world. And also kind of showing uh, the failure of Ozymandias. Like, yeah. this big squid that... Uh, supposedly saved the world and brought right. everyone together to show that as being a failure I think is far more interesting yep. uh, that the forces are still working against each other right and especially because we're getting a having seen this episode we get a much better glimpse into now knowing that it is Adrian right. and seeing I, I think it reveals now that it's confirmed that it is him it reveals like the vanity side of him more again yeah and they're kind of like it's weird to see him and just go like if doing he's doing all this brilliant stuff but he seems quite stupid or stunted to me in this Mm. portrayal of the character and i'm really curious about that and i think kind of like you know he was the master genius with all these plans and now he seems like a guy backed into a corner with like no idea what's going on in the world right well i've there's some stuff that uh we'll get to that in a sec but there's some stuff there that I think we can build on. Yeah. Right? Um, anyway. So, uh, uh, my next question for you is, are we certain that the car was dropped by Dr. Manhattan? So, is is, is there a possibility there's an extra joke on Laurie who finally receives a response from mm. Dr. Manhattan on Mars? But the previous week, we saw the car was taken by what appeared to be a version of the airship. So, is the flare a coincidence? Or, once again, yeah. am I overthinking this? I don't know because I think just for me watching the episode, I just assumed that the owl ship dropped it as well. Yeah. But then I'm like, oh no, I don't even know. I don't even know if we saw it now. Yeah. And I don't I, know. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I found, um, <laughs> I just found those notes that I was looking for there under yeah. the wrong heading. <laughs> um, uh, so I was going to say to you, both women are really great at their jobs. And, uh, you know, Laurie catches Mr. Shadow, notices the wheelchair marks. Also knows that Angela was sneaking about in Crawford's house because she can tell Angela isn't the feigning type. Mm. And how does she know this? Because Laurie isn't the type to mess up a joke. She yeah. understands misdirection. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Did you think the flare looked a little bit like a smiley face? Or is that... I didn't notice, but no, that could I mean, be too much. Li- likely we've seen a smiley face in almost every episode. In yeah. The, in the previous two episodes. So. Yeah. It feels like it. Uh what do you think the significance of the joke is? So each man in the joke, like mm. this is my reading, each man in the joke is in some sort of prison. So we learn that Night Owl is in a literal jail. Yeah. Vite is in some sort of captivity, yeah. whatever that is. And uh, Dr. Manhattan is trapped by the clockwork way the universe unfolds. Mm. So he's able to see forward and backward in time all at once. But yeah. he is, he's just such a passive character in many ways. And then the Silk Spectre character is the only one that is not, that is beyond it. Yes. And is it suggesting that she's trying to think in a sideways manner? Her, it's it's her attempt. At, this is her Gordian knot. How does mm. she get out of this uh, situation? And I wonder if she has a plan that we're not privy to as yet. Is there? Is is she as locked in in her own way as Doctor Manhattan, or does she have another? I think she, I I don't know because I guess because we. I guess everything with Doctor Manhattan is still purely speculation. It's mm. hard to say, but I think that. You know this. We're seeing being introduced this character, this character again. Hmm. This um, this new version of Laurie, this the Silk Spectre, or the former Silk Spectre, right? Yeah. To see her as someone different, and I think 
The thing that really shocked me is that she goes by surname Blake. Mm, like her dad's name. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because, you know, she... That I mean, especially because the relationship between her and the comedian, Edward Blake, is so fraught oh, and yeah. so complex. Yeah. I think it's there's something really interesting in that being her surname in this yeah. iteration of the character. Well, it's uh, it's fascinating because in the comic, when she doesn't know that Blake is her father, mm. the first time that he meets her and his hand is on, like I think the first illustration by mm. Dave Gibbons is he's got his hand under her chin. Mm. And uh, I remember reading that the first time as it being a very mm. sexual thing. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was him literally looking at his daughter. Yeah. You know. And especially because, you know... And I think she takes it that way as well. I think... And then thinks her mum's being jealous because she's young. Yeah. You know. And especially then she finds out that uh, he... When the Hollis Mason book comes mm. out, that the comedian was sexually assaulted her mother or yeah. attempted rape on her mother. Yeah. And then the complicated issues where, you know, then her mother's like going like, oh no, Edward's not that bad of a guy or yeah. something like that. And she comes around on him. I just, I find like... And then like, he, he reveals, like when she throws the drink in his face, yeah. says it was only once. Exactly. We, uh, Siobhan Coombs and I really get yeah. into that uh, in the chapter of the graphic novel that is being released this week. The yeah. podcast we're going to do this week. I can't wait to hear that because yeah. I think it's such an it's such an interesting part of the comics and such a complicated part that I'm just, I'm truly fascinated by the decision that what I hope we do find out why she has chosen yeah. that as her name now. Well, she's kind of I think she's gone by Blake by the end of the oh. graphic novel as oh, well. Okay, it's been so, a while since I finished it. Yeah, so, so it's uh, so, so it, it has a. You know, it, there's something very interesting mm. in a young girl thinking that her mother's friend, when she first meets him, yeah. is being sexual towards her, takes it as a jealousy because mm. her mum is very uh, sensual in the way that she uh, portrays herself, yeah. even as a crime fighter and yeah. the way she looks at herself. She still likes the Tijuana Yeah, magazines. when she's an older woman. And then when she finds out that it was that he had raped her because he, she read the book yeah. and she can't understand how she can be nice... There's so much going on there that's, um, you know, you know, it, it's hard to... It, when I was young, it was very hard mm. to get my head around because as a kid, I just... Like, if someone, you know, raped someone, it, it's bad. Yes. So then... And that's the end of the story. Yeah. And for it to be so complicated in that way, I think, especially because I was introduced to the graphic novel so young, like 13, 14, it's always been something that stuck with me. Yeah. And I think now seeing it... It's harder to divorce yourself from the comic from this episode. Oh, yeah, Because this sure. is the episode where it's like the entire graphic novel, those 12 issues, yep. is canon, yep. like beat for beat, yep. image for image. Ozymandias' costume is identical to that yeah. in the graphic novel. So I think now it's like... Uh-huh. It becomes trickier but more fascinating that yeah. this is a sequel, this is an adaptation, yep. this is... Like, it is legitimately a sequel now. Yeah. By the way, I love that the costume looked a bit stupid. That's I love that too. Because, yeah. the, like, we, I, you and I, we talked about it on the, our comic book episode of this yeah. podcast about how funny the costumes look and yeah. how silly they look. And to see that in, you know, like, the mask looks kind of strange right. and out of place and too big on his face. Yeah. And especially, like, in contrast to the, ja- the Zack Snyder film yeah. where he makes those costumes look really cool. Right. I think, you know, it shows, to me... 
perhaps uh, a greater understanding of the text yeah. <laughs> to see these costumes look, you know, he looks very satiny and silky in yeah. this one. I think uh, rather I, than gauntleted. Uh, yeah, I, I read a uh, like I had a very small window to kind of flick through an interview with Gene Smart, who mm. didn't know anything about Watchmen and was wow. going to watch the movie and was told, "Hey, you don't need to watch the movie. Just yeah. you know, we'll, we'll get you there." Yeah. Um, the uh, oh, by the way, the other thing I was going to say about uh, possibly the Russians making mm. a um, uh, their version of Doctor Manhattan uh, is there. You know that would. Lindelof and his wife, if you follow them on Instagram, are very political. So this has not been a surprise to me. And uh, is there something in a world where everyone's working together that the Russians are trying to find the upper hand, Mm. which is what we've just witnessed in world politics? in real life as well. Because, you know, you think that... Like, you know, you've got this... Like, you're just you become awoken to the idea that in real life, the Cold War never ended. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really, in a in a book that is so very much about bringing an end to the Cold War yeah. in this very roundabout way. Yeah. Uh, to then use that text to go like, oh yeah, no, it's not over. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, we, we keep getting the Red Scare. Mm, exactly. And, you know, working prominently. For the fascistic police force. Right. Yeah. So th- there could be something to that. Uh, I wondered what is the significance of Lady True, I think that would be how you would pronounce her name, who bought Veidt's companies in the Millennium Clock. Mm. So in the comic and uh, Pedipedia, which I'll get to in a sec, um, Millennium is a new scent by Veidt and the whole comic is obsessed with clocks from the Doomsday Clock counting down to Armageddon to Dr. Manhattan, the son of a watchmaker. Lady True's name, last name appears everywhere at the moment as well having bought Vite Industries. I did a little bit of research. Lady True was a female warrior in 3rd century Vietnam who managed for some time to resist the Chinese state of Eastern Wu during its occupation. She supposedly died around the age of 22, 23, and is quoted as saying, I'd like to ride storms, kill sharks in the open sea, drive out the aggressors, reconquer the country, undo the ties of serfdom and never bend my back to be the concubine of whatever man. Mm. And Hong Chao will be appearing as Lady True. So I wonder if there is if there is something to that. Is is mm. she aware of the hoax? Like, did she buy Vite's companies to yeah. undo all the terrible things that have occurred in this world off the back of his hoax? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's, um... <laughs> that was a... <laughs> I started to go on a real deep dive there, and then yeah. uh, and then I had to pull out because I was like, oh, I, I have a feeling like Alexi has a life, back. and yeah. uh, <laughs> um, and it also makes me wonder: do do you, do you think President Redford and the government know the truth about the squid hoax, or do you think they really believe it was yeah. an attack by aliens? Because uh, are they privy to it? Because you know, it's unclear who Veet or Vite yeah. worked on with it. Right. Well, he, he killed everybody. Yeah. Like, he, he literally murders everybody yeah. who worked on it. Um, in PDPD, you learn that the alien dissolved just after it appeared, so it couldn't be mm. taken and experimented on or dissected. Yeah. What is PDPD for the listener? I, I will get to okay. that in a sec. Um, and I wonder, you know, there's always been that conspiracy theory that President Roosevelt knew that Pearl Harbor was going to yeah. happen and uh, let it happen to... to Get uh, galvanize, yeah, America yeah. out of their doldrums and into the war, yeah. which has been proven to be a hoax. But yeah. it's a, it's a, 
full-on uh, conspiracy theory that has been believed for a long time. Uh, and just before we get into Pedia, uh, what are your thoughts on the racist detector? Um, I, mm. I, I I found that so funny. Yeah. And But also, the way the cops are rounding up their suspects is in a manner that is not uncommon to the way racist white cops during the civil rights movement used dogs to similar effects on black yeah. protesters. And, uh, you know, there was that there was some criticism from African-American uh, journalists uh, after the first episode mm. saying, hey, there, there's racism problems in police and you're asking me to side with yeah. the police. And I think we're seeing, which I think was a very fair take, but I yes. think we're seeing now maybe we shouldn't be on so, anyone's yeah. side just yet. I mean, especially like, you know, you're seeing these cops. Like, I think now it's very clear the cops are being portrayed in a way that is not heroic <laughs> there right. are i do you know sense that there's like you know fascistic undertones with the yep. authority uh in this or through the police and so on yeah and um yeah i think that's just becoming clearer to me right right yeah it's uh there's a lot of imagery going on yeah that's uh like i think it gives you a, a like a gut check while you're watching it and then mm. when you think about it then you realize your gut check wasn't as bad as it should have been yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah especially like you know here in australia right now we're seeing uh, here australia but all over the world of course right. like hong kong right but now in australia we've in the last week we've seen um police exert uh exuberant force right. on uh protesters yeah and uh you know a cop with covering their like their um their their body camera yeah. with a little sign that said eat a dick hippies yeah and now so i feel like it's you know, it's it's very hard to see police in this form. Like they're saying in that first episode, being able to go like, "Oh, these are the heroes," right? And now to see them, it's like, okay, great. I think they're going. You're slowly going to realize, like, yes, these these guys indeed do suck. Yeah, exactly. Also, uh, how how great is it to be in a country where our prime minister, uh, who uh, goes to church and speaks in tongues, yeah, uh, wants to introduce uh, a law where we're not allowed to not uh, buy from certain companies and yeah. things like that. Like, it's insane. <sighs> Awful. We are living in uh, dystopian times. Oh, I know. And you know what's really disappointing about it? It's just not as cool it's as it was cool. in the books. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it was, you know, the... the you know, in the in the books, our architecture all... sucks. Oh, yeah, yeah. architecture is the worst. In, <laughs> in in the books, it's always like you know, there's freedom fighters and that. But in reality, what they what what happens is uh, life is made. Mm comfortable enough that you don't have the fire yeah to, exactly to battle back anyway let's not be depressed about the real world let's yeah, go back, back into podcasting. the really fun life <laughs> yeah. world of Watchmen. Yeah. um so agent pd uh who we were introduced to mm. uh in he, this episode he's an agent who obviously is very smart and knows his stuff has a background and phd in the history of basically the crime busters and the Minutemen. Right. also funny yeah, like very funny. Like there was that the moment when he, like I like that Laurie is an asshole to him, but yeah. when he says is now the right time to ask for an autograph. Yeah, <laughs> and she's like funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it still takes his coffee. Yeah, but uh, you know, so he has there's just like the graphic novel, which has supplementary material mm. after every chapter. Pedipedia is supplementary material for the TV show, yeah. and it's like Wikipedia, but it's it's a little play on that, and yeah. it's all these uh, all different types of articles and uh, documents. Yeah, 
So, uh, and I deliberately saved it for when he would turn up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, th- so far there's been uh, a few uh, entries. So, in one, in a document from the 29th of August, 2019, you discover that the internet seems to be slowly coming into existence with the advent of email, or as it is called in this world, L-mail. The reason there is an internet in the world is because after the giant squid attack on New York, it was erroneously believed by the population that new technology opened the doors to HP Lovecraftian aliens to invade our world. There is also a belief that we exist in a dimensional membrane, but at this point, uh, this belief is hypothetical. So what happened was computers and new technology were junked by Christmas of that year because they thought it was the technology that allowed the aliens to come in, right? Very fun. Yeah, great. Uh, So there's been a 30-year, five-stage plan to reintroduce technology to this world, and PD is, like, thinks that this is not right, Mm. you know. So there's a story, like there's heaps to to read there, but there's a story about one cop taking on the use of computers and solving all these Mm. cases and then um, the big squid situation. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Happens and Mm. then suddenly everyone's junking the computers and getting rid of technology. So that's interesting. Uh, There's a little throwaway where the Surgeon General is named Surgeon General Oz. So I was like, is that... Does Ozymandias become mm. the Surgeon General for a while? That's interesting. Uh, the new computers don't contain components made by Dr. Manhattan. So that's one of that's uh, one of the articles. Mm. There's uh, Veidt's obituary, and that's where we learn that after the squid attack, Veidt lost money on his Millennium Venture, where he attempted to evolve humanity toward a technology-based utopia, but because the public was wary of new technology and returned to a Luddite behaviour, this was a massive failure. Mm. So he created this situation where things could kick on and did not, you know, the smartest man in the world did not see how he yeah. had made a terrible mistake. Yeah, I think that's interesting because just the portrayal of the character in this, the betrayal, the, I think that's really interesting because yeah. the portrayal of the character in this is you're seeing that side of him. Yeah. Because, you know, we've only seen him as the smartest man in the world. Right. But and it's always th- such a bad plan as well because you know the thing is is that Russia wasn't doing anything while Dr. Manhattan was there yeah so why do you want to get rid of him yeah exactly for what is the peace that you're trying to create yeah and I I think people some people have read the graphic novel and said oh you know the problem with the comic is it's such a stupid plan but it's like yeah yeah it is a stupid plan it's not like a perfect no yeah it's 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 satirical like it's anyway uh, like that's like 
It's like when you tell a self-effacing joke and then someone has a go at you. Mm. And you go, I just made that joke. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, if Dr. Manhattan is a take on Superman, does that mean that Veidt has is a take on Lex Luthor? Oh, yeah. Because Luthor is, yeah. we don't need that guy. Why is yeah. he here? No, it should be about us. I think so. So that, that makes it interesting for yeah. where this could possibly go. Uh, in 1999, Veidt licensed technology to other fields, including pet cloning. So okay. that's what we seem to be seeing with uh, his uh, servants. Yeah. Um, the film in the first episode was called Trust in the Law. It was made in... Uh, the director of that movie mm. in Watchmen was a real-life director, and this is uh, something I was very excited to tell you about. Oh, cool. Uh, an African-American director, Oscar Michu, who was born 1884 and died in 1951. He was a director and independent producer of more than 44 films, and he often concentrated on stories about contemporary black life that opposed and discussed racial injustice. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So that's interesting. I'd never yeah. heard of him before, so that was exciting. Yeah, I've only I've read very little about it, but there is uh, there is like some recently. There's been like great uh, box sets. I can't remember which outlet has put it, but of like the early pioneers of African American cinema. Right, and I, I that name is familiar to me from reading about that. Right, um, started off in uh, the silent films, and mm. then uh, ended up making about eighteen talkies, according to oh, wow. online research. Uh, there's a document from Agent Petey uh, where we discover that uh, Dan and Laurie were arrested in 1995. Mm. So they went and fought crime after. Yeah. And then they were arrested in 95. Laurie was going by the name The Comedian. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's okay. So, I mean, I've been talking about how strange I find yeah. that she goes by Blake. Yeah. Now to Don, his, uh, his moniker as well. Yeah. My God. And I reckon she, uh, if I remember correctly, wow. I think she may have even made it in the last page that she yeah. hears in the graphic novel, she makes a suggestion about getting into like a leatherish type wow. of suit. Wow. Okay. That's really so that's interesting, fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and in that, we learn that Dan is still in jail, which we also learn in this. Uh, the new frontiersman printed the Rorschach journal and made the case that the squid was part of a vast conspiracy, mm. possibly by Veidt, but the author... So, it could, because he knows all the information up until Rorschach learns that. So, he actually is correct, but mm. the problem is uh, he's such an awful racist and idiot, it's just passed off as the ravings of a right-wing loony. Yeah. But he's... But, it, you know, as in the propaganda that we saw earlier and a lot of the conspiracy theories... Even when people are incorrect, their thoughts and ideas are often based in some form of the truth. Yeah. Which I guess makes it, you know, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to this article, uh, they uh, they they don't want to say that Veidt is definitely dead because he's been missing all these years. Yeah. Because in 1999, Elvis Presley appeared in a Hanoi nightclub and performed all of his songs that have the word blue in the title, which means he did a 15-song set list. My mouth, my jaw just dropped. So what? So it's such a throwaway. Yeah. And I like I didn't pick up on it first. I just read Presley and just kept moving, and then went, "Hang on a minute." That's I only know one Presley. Awesome. That was the guy that played for the Boston Celtics. And then, <laughs> then I remembered Elvis Presley. Um, but uh, anyway, that is so. Songs with blue in it. Did yeah. Did Doctor Manhattan bring Elvis Presley back to just see what would happen? Oh, 
That's so cool. Did, was was John Osterman a deep down a Presley fan and yeah. just wanted to see what it would be like to be Elvis Presley and got the year wrong? Oh, Anyway, I love oh, it. This is fascinating. I love it. Um, in a follow-up document, there's a band from the 90s called Sons of Pale Horse named after the band that was killed in the squid attack. The space rock band will see their album, The Book of Raw Shark, Reissued on the 4th of November. Now, I've had this theory, which I was mm. waiting to tell you uh, yep. face-to-face, which is Nine Inch Nails are releasing three albums. Oh, and they're okay. being scattered over the course of the series. Yep. And the first one is being dropped on the 4th of November. And uh, like I, I had this thought before, and then I read this, and I'm like... Holy shit! Yeah. Are Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross gonna release a Sons of Pale Horse album? And that's are today. Gonna, yeah, right. So by the time you listen to this podcast, you are either going to think you're an idiot, Hamo. Yeah. Or nice you one, Hamo. Yeah. You picked it. <laughs> either way, I'm really into it. Uh, there's also a new soundtrack for Trust in the Law by the Tulsa Symphony Orchestra that's going to be performed mm. in this. Yeah. In this article. So I wonder if that'll be another nine inch nails album. Yeah. Oh man. That would I'll be honest. I will fly to the moon, fly back and give everyone who watches the show a kiss if uh, in a nice way <laughs> on the chat if I'm if that's what happens. Um in a document for reparations from the United States Court of Appeal, uh, which is a document that is adapted and edited from the dissent in Alexander versus State of Oklahoma on the 13th of the 12th, 04, or for uh, anyone in America from the 12th of the 13th of 04. Uh, it's, it's about the real-life reparations for the victims and descendants of the Tulsa attack of 1921. So this is a real paper, mm. but they've... Uh, the last page talks in terms of justice for people wronged in the past that maybe we should think about reconsidering linear constructs of time and adopt a quantum perspective on justice, which mm. is very Dr. Manhattan, yeah. isn't it? Um, is so that, so that, But there's heaps more with all of that. I just thought these are just the yeah. bits and pieces for anyone who, A, can't be asked, and B... Yeah, I mean, I never know. look at supplemental material like that, so... Right. I spend a lot of time alone. Uh, <laughs> uh, a question for you. Yeah. Is Vite using dead bodies to attempt to escape an allusion to Tales of the Black Freighter? In the comic, the doomed sailor uses dead bodies to escape his island he's marooned mm. on. And with the flag bearing the same symbol in Vite's yeah. manner, can we expect a similar fate for Vite? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you, it's the first time I felt like we've seen a genuine allusion to the the Black Freighter comic book within mm. the comic book. Yeah, the, be- the motel was called the Black Freighter. Yeah, yep. and because, you know, I, I think the um, American hero story has been the kind of sub-in for yes. the multimedia aspect of the graphic novel. Yeah. But now seeing the Black Freighter literally come into play, it's curious because you're like, this means something and it also, like the comic, means kind of nothing. Who knows? Right. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. In uh, So Tom Misen, who plays Mr. Phillips, who has been killed many times now, yeah. uh, he said that these sections of the script were dubbed the Black Freighter. Cool. So, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe there's a few stories going on. Yeah. Also, did you notice that there were three candles in the cake? And I wonder if in classic mm. non-linear... Storytelling. These are years apart. Yeah, hell yeah! I like. We're seeing this 
the same date every year or something. Yeah, so you know we're we're, we're catching up. So maybe there's not. So when did he go? When did he disappear? Two thousand and twelve. So maybe mm. we'll see seven weeks of seven years, oh my and then gosh. we'll ca- he'll catch his storyline yeah. will catch up to the present. That'd Far be awesome. Out. I'd do push-ups out of excitement, but I've got that back. <laughs> um, question for you, Alexi. Yep. Is Senator Keane the bad guy? I don't know. Because it's it's um it's so it's so something because once again it's someone like, like this actor is, I'm very barely familiar with the actor playing him. Oh, James Woke. But he's beautiful. Like, he yeah, he's it, got those movie star good looks where, you know, already we've the this world is very inundated by images of Robert Redford, who yes. is like to me the modern yet classical American epitome of what the handsomeness of the American male movie star is. Right. And I think that, you know, this guy's got that beautiful, luscious hair like a Redford type. Yeah. And so you you know, you immediately see him as that stand in, as that Kennedy son yeah. kind of so you're like, oh, there's hopeful. But then you're like well, you know, Kennedy was corrupt. Yeah, you know, by the way, he, Kennedy was put in by the mafia. Is right. is alleged uh, in the new movie, The Irishman. Check it out in cinemas or on Netflix soon. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's yeah, I don't know because I I do think there's something there's something definitely fucking up with this guy. Yeah, so he's running for politics. Is he stirring up some trouble to help him secure the nomination and uh, take mm. down? You know. The, the liberal government that Redford yeah. has uh, been a part of for so long. So I wondered, um, was the, the moment at the funeral a setup just Perhaps. like the attack on Vite yeah. in the comic was misdirection? Yeah. So we, we have a joke that's full of misdirection. Mm. So is that, was that something that, like, was that something that was, like, got out of hand a little bit? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and then Laurie... Ruined it by shooting him in the, the head. head. Yeah. So <laughs> we find out it's one of his aides or something. Right. Yeah. And he did you know, he did have himself set up in case things went pear shaped, but didn't think it was gonna go pear yeah. shaped like this. Um and uh before we get into mum facts and squid bits, what does the blue vibrator represent? I think it would represent because we've seen her be vulnerable in wanting to contact John and calling him John, yeah. I think we're seeing this thing of where she genuinely misses him. Right. And I think that it's very f- it's very funny, I think, in like this cosmic way yeah. that um, a, another way that she connects to her former partner that she was with for many years right. is through like this mass-produced sex toy and right. porno tape that you know thousands of men and women across the globe would have used to get off to as well because they fantasized about this character. Yeah. She's using it to kind of like satiate this like... You know, nostalgia is a big part of the Watchmen graphic novel. Yeah. You know, literally Adrian Veidt's got that uh, fragrance. fragrance called Nostalgia. Yeah. And I feel like this is kind of tapping into that kind of same that same kind of commercialized nostalgia, but then also for her, it's like this like genuine, like this genuine connection and this, maybe a sense of missing and longing because, you know, right. her two partners that we know of, right. uh, one's on Mars, one's in prison. Right. So, so I had some thoughts. Mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan walking around with his wang on display was yeah. a symbol of him being detached from humanity. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
so now it feels like his penis has been appropriated to I, pleasure women. I think that's really cool because you know yeah. you're seeing a giant blue man ac- around the world. It's probably the he's. There's no way he's not the most famous person or famous thing on earth. Yeah. In the Watchmen, yeah. uh, the Watchmen universe. So there would ab- absolutely there'll be a fetish around him that is human. Right. That is big and broad enough to make this a giant expensive sex toy. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if uh, Petey, who is very nerdy and mm. knows his stuff, reminds her of Dan, who is the impotent yeah. nerd in the comic. Uh, so is the rejecting of the blue vibrator for Petey also a rejection of Dr. Manhattan for Night Owl? Mm, yeah, I think so. Anyway, I might be reading too much into a big blue vibrator, but uh, yeah. it just seems too easy to be funny. Like, just be funny. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, I also, I, once again, I didn't have time to read this uh closely, but I saw uh, a little bit of an interview with co-writer Lila Bayek, who said that when she was in the writer's room, they were pitching what was in the suitcase. She said the vibrator as a joke and Lindelof went with it. And that's how, that makes me laugh a lot because in The Leftovers, when they were saying who were the people that disappeared, Mm. someone said as a joke, the whole cast of Perfect Strangers. Yeah. And how did that play out over yeah. three seasons? That's what kind of, that's that was also my thought was that right. joke, you know, where it becomes something more significant. Yeah. And it's, and it is funny. Like, you, it's really it's funny. undeniably funny to me. Yeah. But maybe I'm not laughing out loud, but I'm very tickled by it. Oh, yeah. And I think she would be too. <laughs> um, so, and, and just here's a little segment uh, that I'll call I Spend Too Much Time Alone Thought. Um, so at the end of the graphic novel, Dr. Manhattan says he's going off to create life. And then it made me think about Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman. And in that story, Superman is dying. And to see how the world will continue without him, he creates life on a planet in a tiny universe and observes what happens to them. He watches as the idea of the ideal man takes root in this world mm. throughout the centuries until two Jewish men create a character called Superman. So Superman creates our world just as our world created him. And will we discover that Dr. Manhattan creates us and watches a world without superheroes and we in turn create the idea of superheroes in comics, movies and TV shows. So therefore we in turn create Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, you smoked a bit of weed, I'm I didn't. sure. I didn't. <laughs> Where you're like, the Watchmen's the real world, I'm the fake world. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I didn't. I had no pot whatsoever. But I, I did hurt my back this week and I have had take, I've taken a lot of Nurofen with wine. Um... Mum fact. Yeah, let's see the mum fact. Frances Fisher, who plays Judd Crawford's wife, was married to Clint Eastwood for 15 years. Yes, this she, is true. She has a political leaning to the Democrats and Eastwood is Republican, so I'm sure he's not calling her to tell her how much he loves this show. <laughs> <laughs> mum really enjoyed that she'd come up with that. Yeah, that's um, great. I love that, you know. Especially, I love sticking one to frickin' Eastwood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like... Anyway, that's a that's a whole other po- yeah, podcast. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll do a podcast shitting on Clint Eastwood. And then... Uh, <laughs> shitting on Clint. Yeah. That's our new podcast yeah. coming soon. Mum also pointed out that while God was dealing with the men mm. in the joke, he failed to see the woman who was standing behind them and how she turned out to be the most dangerous of them all. Mm. And I was like, nice one, Mum. Yeah. Andrea's really bringing it. That's great. Great work, Andrea. She's not just bringing facts. She's bringing uh, interpretations. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Now, I know you have uh, other stuff on, and I've got a whole lot of squid bits here. (laughs) This is the longest amount of squid bits I've ever seen. Oh, mate. These are big squid bits. It is. It's full on. But anyway, I know that you've got to go. Mm. So, uh, 
you'll be back next week. I'll do Squid Bits by myself. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll finally be the back. I'll finally be the crazy man raving alone. Yeah. <laughs> in in the uh, in my house, like I've always known that I really am. Well, I can't wait to hear it tomorrow and find out all the Squid Bits myself. That's it. Uh, is there anything coming up that you would like to plug? Uh, yeah, you can check out Total Reboot uh, with Cameron James and Lexi Toliopoulos, where me and Cameron James talk about reboots, remakes, and ripoffs in films. Uh, we've just talked, we've just done a little mini series on The Ring yes. for Halloween, and coming up next, we've got Evil Dead. Oh, okay. uh, and also, I've got a show that I do uh, once a month at the Golden Age Cinema called Comedians Talk Over Movies in Sydney. Uh, in Sydney at the Golden Age Cinema in Surrey Hills, and the tickets for the next one will be going on sale soon. I believe it's happening Friday, November. November 15th or whatever the Friday is around mm-hmm. then. And the movie is Speed. So oh, great. keep your eye out on that. Follow me on Twitter at This Is Alexi and I'll post those links up very soon. I rewatched that recently. I've never seen it. I oh, love really? going into these cold and yeah. just experiencing it. Right. Speed is Speed is still fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, and it's also it comes from an era when people really hypothesized about films oh, and there's yes. you know, there's a theory that it's about, you know. Yeah. Evolution and God and anyway, oh, hilarious. Wait. All right, thank you, Alexi. We'll thank talk you very to you much, next week. Hello. See you next time. So Alexi has just left, which means it's just you and me. So I hope you don't mind me uh, keeping your time and your attention for just a little bit longer. We'll go through these squid bits. Poor Alexi, he had some stuff uh, that had come up at the last second and uh, then he turned up and he saw all my notes and he's so polite and he's so lovely and you could see the look in his eyes of absolute panic. So I thought, best to let him go. If you love something, set it free and hopefully it'll come back and do another podcast with you. I think that's how the saying goes anyway. Uh, So some squid bits that I noticed uh, or found through uh, watching... The latest episode, uh, I've already mentioned that the motel is the Black Freighter Inn. I wonder if there's a little bit of foreboding in that as well, that she's staying at that inn that's named after uh, uh, the terrible, scary story in uh, or comic in the original graphic novel. Uh, the title for the episode is a lyric from Devo's song Space Junk. So Laurie was a Devo fan in the comic, and the song comes from an album, Q, Are We Not Men, A, We Are Devo. Uh, I think a question about men is very funny, and a story about women in this, really. It's uh, two uh, two very powerful women, two very strong women, and very different women coming into contact with one another. Um, also, uh, she was nearly crushed by a car. Laurie was nearly crushed by a car coming, uh, falling from space. Whereas in the song, a girl called Sally is killed by space junk. Sally is also the name of Laurie's mum. So there could be nothing in that. That could be a coincidence. That could be something. Uh, Devo also created an elaborate mythology about the de-evolution of humankind, which does seem to be, uh, you know, I think you can draw parallels with the exploration of what's going on in this story about people and how we don't progress and how we don't evolve so we can draw some parallels there but also uh junk is a a euphemism for penis and uh maybe maybe laurie was really ruined by dr manhattan maybe that whole relationship has uh ruined her in in some ways who would have thought that such a interesting and thought-provoking uh tv show really would just present us with something that is so (laughs) funny and uh, childish, but can also 
on many levels have uh, possibly a lot of meaning. But then again, when is a blue vibrating penis just a blue vibrating penis? That's a question that I'll put out there for you. Uh, the song that is uh, sung at the funeral is The Last Roundup by Roy Rogers and the Pioneers. Uh, Roy was also known as the King of the Cowboys. The song was written by Billy Hill, one of the best-known pop songwriters in the 1940s who died of alcohol abuse and heart failure. The song was inspired by a time he was working on a ranch in Montana and he asked a cowboy why they kept riding Roundup as they grew older. The cowboy told him there was a time when they had to stop and that would be their last Roundup. And then the cowboy died just after this conversation, after being knocked off his horse and trampled to death. And that moment inspired the song. So, is there something uh, about, you know, Laurie's face in that in that moment is, I at first I read it as quite comical. You know, she kind of had that look on her face of, oh my God, is she not going to talk? Is she actually going to sing a song? So, I found that to be a potentially darkly amusing moment. But uh, maybe there's something in it about knowing when to uh, stop, when to give up. Because if you uh, do your job for too long or you follow it for too long, uh, you'll eventually end up dying. That happens for Judd. You know, it might just be uh, a metaphor for what happens to Judd Crawford, but it uh, could also be relating to Laurie as well. We're not entirely certain why she's working for the FBI. Was that part of the deal to get out of jail after she and Dan were arrested great character like and Laurie's really getting her due in uh, in this series if you've read the graphic novel Laurie's a interesting character and uh you know a f- she's in- she's smart and she's feisty but she is also I think you see uh her maturity kind of come to the fore because at first she's kind of pushed into you the job of being Silk Spectre by her mum and then she hooks up with Dr. Manhattan and then she kind of becomes, you know, uh, almost like part of the furniture for him, as, especially as he becomes more and more detached from humanity. And and then you sort of start to see her come to the fore when she meets up with Dan. But even then, you know, she's not really into the plan to go and uh, break out Rorschach. And by the end... She's learnt the terrible truth about who her father is and uh, the, the relationship that he had with her mother. And you're almost getting a hint of it. Uh, she's got a new haircut. She's going to be taking on a new persona. She seems a lot more forthright. And so in in a way, you could almost say that the TV series is retrospectively making the Watchmen graphic novel an origin story for uh, Silk Spectre for uh, Laurie. So that could be an interesting uh, way of uh, looking back on the graphic novel and its relationship to this series. I'm just wrapped to see Jean Smart just being so cool. She is awesome. Uh, My friend Chris in Seattle, hello Chris, if you're listening, uh, he reminded me that the co-opting of Rorschach in Watchmen is not dissimilar to the alt-right co-opting the Punisher in our world. Uh... Good point. Nice one, Chris. Thanks for uh, emailing me that and reminding me. Uh, The opening heist with Mr. Shadow. uh, Once again, another funny satirical look at superhero stuff in general. But I don't know about you. It reminded me a lot of the opening to The Dark Knight. So 
I'm a fan of The Dark Knight, uh, long-time listeners of uh, my previous podcast or anyone who's seen me perform in Australia will know how I feel about uh, pretty much every Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, So, uh, you know, you're probably sitting there going, oh, God, now you'll be drawing a parallel with uh, David Bowie. And I will get there at some point, don't you worry about that. But I feel like I'm on the money with this one. I don't feel like I'm really telling you anything that is that mind-blowing. I don't think many of you are sitting there going, oh, yeah, it feels pretty obvious. Also, I feel like that scene is actually shot really well. Stephen Williams, who's the director, does such a great job in this uh, episode. Uh, I I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but uh, remember when I was trying to find uh, notes uh, for for Alexi, and I'll just reiterate it. Great to see two women, uh, one middle-aged and one older, in a male-dominated style of storytelling that not only uh, allows them to be two different types of heroes, but also exhibit different forms of sensuality and sexuality. And uh, I'm certain that there are probably uh, a lot of men out there who, you know, think Rorschach is cool, mate, who probably freaked out by this. Uh, But they also get to be very funny as well. They're they're very funny in their own way. And... uh, we also saw in this episode that Laurie gets to be incredibly vulnerable and has a has a melancholy about her as well. Once again, beautiful acting, beautiful direction. Those moments of close-ups when she's talking to uh, on the phone, hoping that the message gets to Doctor Manhattan. Like she's talking to John, but there's she doesn't really know if the message is getting to him. I don't think. And the way their camera is so close up, and she's so right there she's so raw and uh just just beautiful beautiful storytelling uh there are images that reflect the comic uh there's a moment with uh, the handing over of uh the device that runs the um the room that looking glass works in uh, there's a touching of hands when the object is passed between the two people that is something that happens in the comic quite a bit uh you know passing i think uh, when john meets his first uh, uh partner janie like they touch hands uh, handing over a, a cold glass of beer and their fingers kind of touch for a moment it's very it's incredibly intimate uh but it's also a passing moment so uh it's, Great to see that kind of reflected in uh, in the TV series. Uh, Vi- oh, we also see uh, the reflection of Laurie in the glasses uh, that appear to be taken from Night Owl's technology. So if they uh, apprehended them in the, the mid-90s and they're using the technology from uh, his his lair and the stuff that he used as Night Owl, I think uh, there, there is a scene where you can... that she smudges... Uh, the dust on the glasses of Night Owl and you see her reflection. So once again, that's reflecting the comic as well. Uh, and it's interesting that in a way, Night Owl's technology is reflecting her. Um, Veidt quotes himself from chapter 11 of the graphic novel when he says, I'm not a Republican serial killer. That is uh, said just before he reveals his, uh, his moment of sending the alien squid to New York. Uh, for anyone who is a fan of The Leftovers, I don't know if this is going to happen. I've just decided this in my head would make me laugh a lot. If Dr. Manhattan turns up and he's played by Justin Thoreau, that would just make me really happy because you know that Lindelof is obsessed with Thoreau's penis. 
Uh, for those of you who haven't watched The Leftovers in the pilot, poor Justin Theroux has a scene where he's running and he's wearing tracksuit pants and lots of women noticed that that thing needed a leash on it. <laughs> and uh, in the second to last episode ever of The Leftovers, there is a scene where uh, poor Kevin Garvey in, the, in, in this other place, in this spiritual place, and he has to get into this room and he has to flop his penis out onto a scanner to prove that he is the person. And I've always wondered if the acting on Justin Theroux's face is not acting and he really is a little bit embarrassed that he has to go through this. So if he turns up (laughs) as Dr. Manhattan off the back of the big vibrating magnetic blue penis, uh, that'd just be a part of me that would be wrapped that all these worlds were coming together. Um... I've already mentioned uh, the restraint in the writing when uh, when Laurie catches Mr. Shadow, uh, you know, when asked if she knew the vigilante's armour would be able to take bullets in the back, that she doesn't say anything is so cool. Uh, I wonder if Laurie taking down Mr. Shadow, uh, the Shadow was an antecedent to Batman, uh, you know... Batman came out of the pulps in uh, many different ways and uh, the Shadow uh, predated him. And... She says the previous week that she took down Revenger. Are the writers telling us that Laurie is more badass than DC and Marvel? It's taken down a DC icon. The Avengers are the biggest superhero team in the world at the moment. So uh, Mr. Shadow and Revenger feel like possible little shout-outs to those two universes. Uh, I hope that the Warden, where Vite is, who takes a shot at him, I hope he knows that Vite knows how to catch bullets. Uh, notorious scene in the, in the comic when uh, Adrian catches a bullet that's meant for him. Uh, catches a bullet uh, right to in the the final chapter. So I wonder if I wonder if we'll get a, a play on that where he'll still be able to exhibit those skills, or maybe he's a bit too old to be able to do that anymore. Uh, getting the owl out of the, out of the cage is a reference to Night Owl, of course, who we know is. Um, is uh, locked away, still incarcerated. Uh, the episode was written by Damon Lindelof and Lila Bayek. They also wrote uh, one of the best episodes of The Leftovers, Season 3, It's a Matt, 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 Matt World, which also contained a very funny joke and punchline that involved God suffering an unexpectedly, unexpectedly violent fate. So if you haven't seen uh, The Leftovers, that is a great episode. Uh, for anyone who uh, knows my work on Whovians and uh, the Doctor Who show that we did on ABC2 here in Australia, uh, Matt is played by Christopher Eccleston. Great, great performance. Like, you always know a good TV show, I think, when a character that drives you mental becomes one of your favourites and vice versa. I think that was one of the things I loved about Six Feet Under. Uh, Michael C. Hall's David in the first season drove me insane. And uh, by the final episode, he was my favourite. And uh, Matt is one of those characters who drives you insane in The Leftovers. But in the end, I had such compassion for him. Uh, Once again, great direction when uh, in Laurie's apartment, her face, uh, like there's that shot where it's the the, the pop art in the background and it's... uh, Ozymandias, Dr. Manhattan, Nidow, and Laurie's head is covering up the last corner. 
And what she's doing is um, she's covering up her own face, her young face. And I wonder about the imagery and that. Oh, I wish Alexi was here for this. God damn it. I'll have to get him to write something to me and I'll, um, I'll, I'll put it in uh, this week if, uh, if he's free. But um, so Dr. Manhattan, Ozymandias and Night are also the men in the joke who we focus on without noticing the woman. So in the scene, it's like we don't see who's behind her head until she reveals it. Um, these are also the three men that attended the funeral of her father's death in the graphic novel. Uh, so this is another example of the beautiful use of the ironic use of words and art that you find in the comic. So essentially, uh, getting back to the three men in the joke, and then she reveals that she's there, uh, that, that scene gives us the punchline to the joke before we finally hear it. Uh, it possibly also suggests that her past is literally hanging over her. But uh, I'd, I'd also say if that's a reading that you could look into it, it also sort of suggests to me that maybe she's moved on uh, compared to the men in the painting who are trapped in the past. Uh, there's a lot going on. <laughs> In, in that one scene, and uh, I, I read a lot into it. As I said, I, I live alone, spend a lot of time by myself, have a lot of time to think, and these are the thoughts that were just going through my head. By the way, I've only watched the episode once, so, you know, uh, maybe on the second viewing I'll find even more. I'll do a whole episode just on that one scene. Uh, but there is something about the three men still being trapped, isn't there? Uh, you know, like Dr. Manhattan you know, as we discussed before, is is trapped by the mechanics of the universe and the way it plays out. Uh, Ozymandias is obviously trapped somewhere, possibly on another planet by Dr. Manhattan, possibly uh, by Russia, who knows? And uh, Dan is in jail. Uh, so in some ways, she's not in the frame. She's ahead of it. So she has a level of freedom that those men don't have. Uh, I, I think you could also see by Vite putting on his costume again, maybe he's also still trapped by the past. The man who came up with the idea of nostalgia as a perfume might still be trapped in his own way. Uh, I think the time, once again, I only had one viewing. I think the time on Petey's watch is around 10 minutes to midnight. Uh, so that's uh, that's exciting stuff if you followed the uh, and read the graphic novel with all the clock motifs. Um. The joke that Laurie tells finishes on the same lines that her father's joke about Pagliacci finished in chapter two of the graphic novel. We kind of touched on that already, uh, but I just wanted to reiterate it. And I wonder if uh, Laurie's line about not being able to tell the difference between a masked cop and a vigilante sum up the whole show. Something something interesting in that line. And and once again, really, really underplayed when she when she delivered it as well. It was just a just a masterclass in acting and uh, I, I honestly cannot wait to see more of her opposite some of the uh, characters we've already uh, had time to get to know you know a of course Angela but also opposite uh, uh, looking glass like far out like that that scene didn't go long enough for me I would have quite happily sat there for a, another 10 minutes uh, watching those two uh, bounce back and forth but uh, yeah Great episode. Uh, you know, Lindelof's very good at doing the the third episode of series, and uh, I think he's really uh, nailed it yet again. 
Uh, I will have more thoughts. Uh, you know, I'll have an opportunity to watch uh, the episode again, and uh, I'll throw those at the start of uh, uh, the next episode of this podcast, where uh, Siobhan Coombs will be joining me again, and we will be having a chat about Chapter 3 of the graphic novel. Uh, once again, we'll be talking about some adult themes. Uh, so, like, I know you're fine. You're watching a series about Watchmen. I'll make sure I put a disclaimer at the start of it, just in case uh, you forget. But, uh, you know, uh, you want it, I want you to be forewarned, just so you know, in case you're in a car, you know, you've got you know, kids there, or, or maybe you're just not in the mood for having too serious a chat about something like uh, rape and its uh, conduct in the story. So you know, I'd rather you're in a in a in a better frame of mind to to be able to listen to that. But anyway, I'll give you a heads up in the, before that one plays out. I'm really over explaining myself. This is what happens when I'm left by myself. Anyway, <laughs> uh, a big thank you to Alexi Toliopoulos for once again uh, sitting down and uh, discussing this latest episode. Um, if you have some thoughts, uh, like I'm really like I I love theorizing. I love I love hearing ideas. I love hearing people just take a wild swing on where they think the story might be going. So if you wanted to join in on that, there's uh, the Facebook page, Big Squid with Justin Hamilton. Uh, there's also a, a little private conversation one where just ask to be a part of it. You'll get in easily. I've just kind of set that up more so we can talk. Uh, with uh, out having to worry about spoilers because, you know, there might be someone coming to the page uh, late in the game and, uh, you know, we can just kind of sit in there and we don't have to keep writing spoilers or saying spoilers. And there's already a, a nice group in there who are throwing some ideas around. So you're more than welcome to come and join us. Um, I'll also find some of the articles that kind of gave me some extra bit of information on some of these characters and some of the stuff I discussed in this. I'll put them up at Facebook, but once again, if you don't really uh, have Facebook or don't want to engage with Facebook, uh, I've been writing blogs uh, on my website, justinhamilton.com.au, and I will put the information in there as well. I'll do that uh, sometime in the middle of the week. Uh there's also uh, uh, an official podcast coming out. It is hosted by Craig Mason, who created and wrote uh, Chernobyl. Uh, and it's with Damon Lindelof. Uh, so I've got to be honest, uh, I, I think the first episode is already out. I am saving it. I wanted to talk to you with my thoughts and uh, my ideas. And I wanted to hear Alexi's thoughts and ideas. And I didn't want to listen to something on that that would have swayed me one way or the other. I'd, I'd rather look like an idiot who got something completely wrong than, uh, than, you know, come from a faux sense of, you know, theorizing or knowledge because I've already heard them say something but uh, go and check that out that'll be fun I'm looking forward to that Lindelof is always a great uh, a great interview uh, very funny and uh, I'm really looking forward to that uh, I just want to take a, a quick moment and shout out to Leslie S. Klinger who did uh, Watchmen Annotated uh, some stuff in there that uh, I read this in, in the lead up when I did the whole reread of the graphic novel uh, there was some stuff in there that I already knew, but there's some stuff that I had not seen pointed out before. It's a massive tome, and it's all in black and white, and it's beautiful, and it's 
really great. And it's also so heavy. Uh, it's equal parts informative and you'll have really nice arms at the end of it. I don't mean to brag. My arms are looking good. And it's basically from the workout that I got from uh, reading that. So uh, check that out if you want to uh, really dive into the into the <laughs> just about every panel of that, uh, of that comic. Uh, please give us a nice review on uh, whichever platforms you use. Uh, that's really greatly appreciated. And uh, once again, if you know people who are into this kind of thing, please uh, suggest uh, that they have a listen. Uh, and, we'll, you know, we'll keep it in-house. I like it. It's uh, You guys have been great. I'm really enjoying uh, everything that uh, you're writing to me and uh, your suggestions and your thoughts and your theories. And it's really nice to have your company. So uh, I'll leave you there. I'm going to go off and uh, have a little snack, have a little bite to eat. Maybe I'll watch the episode again, have some new thoughts on it. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And uh, hey, just be careful out there. It looks like it uh, might be raining. Raining cars. All right, you guys have been great. Thank you very much. Bye.